Thanks for being with us this evening. Thank you for being here tonight. I want to talk to you this, this evening about prevailing prayer. And so before we get started, I want us to pray and just ask the Lord's blessings upon this time. And then when we get done here, I'm going to, we're going to have a discussion. We're going to talk about what we've looked at from the Word tonight. And if you've got questions, please feel free to email them to me. I promise you I'll respond to them, okay? Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your goodness and your grace to us. And we ask you now that as we study your word together, the Father, there will be a fresh, a fresh confidence, a fresh revitalization, Lord, of our prayer lives as individuals, as families, and as a congregation as well, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Well, the Bible says, and... As Paul is writing in the book of 1 Timothy, get my notes here, he says something that I think that I have preached upon several times over 20 plus years here as pastor at Woodland, but this week something happened that just kind of changed my direction from where I was going. I thought, I really need to come back to this. There's been several urgent prayer requests that have come in, not just from our congregation, but from our community and then from some leaders that asked me if I would help them pray about something. And as I've evaluated this and I've looked at it and I've thought about sometimes there's just this whole issue of timeliness that comes up. And so I thought I would just address this tonight with you and with our friends online as well. Here's what the Apostle Paul writes and is left written for us as the Word of God. I urge you. Now, if I say I urge you, you know that that's important. He says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. That doesn't exclude anybody. Pray for all people. Secondly, ask God to help them intercede on their behalf. That's more than just going, God, would you just bless the whole world tonight? You know, and I've got to admit, there are times when I've come in, I've had something that's happened that's kept me out later than normal and I collapse on the bed and I say, Father, I love you. I thank you. I just ask you to bless the church and my family. And I roll over and go to sleep just like that. And so we all have those times, but we're, as a habit and a pattern of life, we're urged, first of all, to pray for all people. That's all nations, nationalities, ethnic groups. Ask God to help them, but intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Now, from time to time, I've been asked to intercede. Perhaps you've been asked to intercede. I've been asked to intercede with someone to prevent them from going to jail. I've been asked to intercede with someone to help prevent a divorce. So to intercede is more than just saying, you know what? They're really nice. Give them a pass. It means you really go to work and you put your name and your reputation on the line for this person. Paul then goes on and says, pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. Circle that word dignity. There is a dignity in prayer. There's a dignity that you gain in prayer that you can't gain any other way. And in a world where people are constantly trying to manage self-image and how they appear and what people think of them and their reputations online, there's a dignity gained by people who know how to pray. This week I was in the one of the hospitals in Ann Arbor. And I was there, and as I was praying with someone, this person has dignity because they have spent so much time in prayer. 
for our church, for our community, and for others. And I realized as I was praying for them, there is a dignity about their lives that God has bestowed upon them. He goes on to say, this is good. This is good. I mean, I like it when I find something the Bible says is good. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved. Underline that. He wants everyone to be saved. And he wants them to understand the truth. You can understand the Bible. It is not beyond your comprehension. Your children can understand the Bible. There are some difficult things and challenging things, but it's a sin for us to make the Bible irrelevant or boring. So God wants us to understand the truth. And then he says this, and this is powerful. For there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. My oldest son competed in a national pistol shooting competition with General Milley that you've heard on the news lately, that you've maybe watched through the sin. My son and he competed in a pistol competition that came down the final two contestants. And um, so he and the general's son had become friends. Of course, that's just naturally given me a greater interest to know more about the family and to follow along with that. And and as I was watching General Milley yesterday as he was uh, being grilled before the Senate and just listening to his answers and to his questions, uh, not his questions, but the questions that were being addressed to him, I thought to myself, if because the subject of terror came up, you know, was this going to make Afghanistan a place where in two or three years that perhaps Al-Qaeda would regroup? And of course, if you watched or if you read the transcript, there's a general consensus among our military that because of wounded pride and the, the ethos of groups like Al-Qaeda and the Taliban, that they will definitely regroup, rebuild, and try to attack America once again. And so as I thought about that, and I realized here we have just finished a 20-year war in Afghanistan. We've withdrawn. I'm not making any political comments about that. But here we are, and we could possibly in two or three years be facing another attack here in America. We pray that it won't be like 9-11, but that's the imagery that I couldn't help but come up into my mind as I contemplated, what if that happened again? What if it happened in Los Angeles? Or what if it happened in Atlanta or Detroit? As I contemplated on that, I thought about all the wars we have, the war on drugs, the war on terror, the war on gangs. What would happen in America if the church came back to understanding warfare prayer, where we declared war in the spirit, not against people, but against the powers of darkness and hell that are behind so much of this thing? You see, the Bible says that God sometimes looks for people that will just stand in the gap. And there's a gap right here so the camera can to be in here. But to bridge this gap, it, God says he's looking for people that would stand in the gap. People that would pray. People that would be knowledgeable about the word and speak the word of God. And so as I sat there thinking about that, what would happen if all of a sudden churches around the world, because We've had friends, we've had uh, people that Becky and I know that were in a church in Afghanistan that was bombed. We've had friends that we know that lost their lives because of terrorism that's happened in other parts of the world. 
What would happen if we stood in the gap and we began to fast and to pray about these issues? It's why Paul says, I urge, first of all, I'm not an electrician. I don't understand electricity. There's a great master electrician right over here to my left. But if I understand correctly, you've got to bridge a gap to complete a circuit. Is that right? Did I say that correctly? Good, because I got that out of a Dr. Google today, just to be sure I got it right. But here's the deal. If you and I could bridge the gap between heaven and earth, can you imagine the power of God that we would, would be released into our world? Because God says, I'm looking for someone that would stand in the gap, someone that would complete the circuit. I mean, Jesus made some incredible and tremendous promises. He wasn't just talking. He wasn't just saying things, but promises that can be fulfilled. The issue is not, listen to me, listen, this is important. The issue is not that the war on terror is bigger than us. And I'm not talking about General Milley or anybody else, the Marines, the Navy, or anybody else. I'm talking about the war on terror or the war on drugs or the war against your marriage or the war against your family, the war against your health, the war against your business or your church. That war is not bigger than we are because when we bridge the gap in prayer, the power of heaven is released into our lives. This morning, just kind of to put the icing on the cake, my sister called me from Macon this morning. And she was standing in front of the building where I went through therapy when I was five years old when they broke my hips and put them together and they began to teach me how to walk. And I had these, these braces and these things on my body. And she stood there in front of that building and we just talked and reminisced about God's faithfulness and God's goodness. You see, I just spoke for an event and I gave my, my testimony of what God had done at this event that I just spoke for. And a couple came up afterwards with tears in their eyes, and they said, our son was born with the same disease and died while he was still a child. What made the difference? And of course, I, I, the difference was a church that prayed, it was parents that prayed. Now, it, if I'd have died, that doesn't mean that God wasn't the same yesterday, today, and forever. But if there's one thing I have lived my life with is this. The issue is never bigger than my faith. And the issue is never bigger than your faith unless you just choose to doubt God. Unless you just choose to doubt that God doesn't want you to pray. Now, let me hasten to add this because a lot of weird things have been said. And we really try to stay focused to stay right in the center of the Word of God. It's not that you can ask for just any old thing you want. But our asking has to be in line with the Word of God. It has to be in accordance with the Word of God. So when I read something in the Bible that's good, when I read something in the Bible that's God's will, I know how to pray, and I know you know how to tear down those strongholds at all, at, at, as well. Well, first of all, I will pray for peace. I will pray for peace. The Bible's very clear. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. I got up early this morning, and, and I told you this. I've just kind of put this together quickly after watching uh, the, the generals yesterday. But I got up early this morning, and my, my heart was just kind of stirred up and thinking so much on my mind. 
And I went downstairs, and it's about 4 o'clock this morning. I had my Bible, and I just began to read from the book of Colossians, which is where I was supposed to be. And um, I got to verse 17, where God holds everything together, where all things were created through Christ, and they're held together through Christ. As I meditated on that verse, and pray, it was just like it got hold of my heart and my life, and I just wish that everyone would would trust that. God created everything through Christ, and it all holds together. And the more I meditated on that, suddenly I found myself just writing and just writing down my thoughts. And my thoughts were simply this. You can trust God. God's going to hold your marriage together. God's going to hold your family together. God's going to hold your business together. God will hold our nation together if we come together as a group of people to trust Him. Now, our culture's changed a lot. When I became a Christian, boy, everybody was high-fiving me. Even our neighbors that weren't Christians were high-fiving me for being a Christian. People that didn't love God. I remember I was at the Georgia Farmer's Market, and I remember this guy coming up and talking to me, and he asked me what I wanted to do with my life, and I told him what I wanted to do and how I wanted to serve the Lord, and he just looked at me and would say, well, son, I'm not a Christian, but that's the best decision I've ever heard anybody make in their life. Our culture has changed a lot now. Sometimes when people give their hearts to Christ, it doesn't make everybody happy. There was peace in my heart and peace in my life. And as I thought about, I have trusted God for over 50 years now as my Lord and Savior when I gave my heart to him when I was 16. Look at verse 20, though, from Colossians 1 with me. Through the Son, then, not through peace accords, not through politics, not through my cleverness, but through the Son, then, God decided to bring the whole universe back to himself. God made peace through his Son's blood on the cross and so brought back to himself all things both on earth and in heaven. Listen to me. If you want to understand the glory of God, you've got to look at the cross. If you want to understand the glory of God, you've got to look at the cross. I shared this with the pastors this morning. You see, the word glory, the Hebrew word is kabod. It means weight. The Greek word is doxa. And if, if you don't know this, the, the, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament, we receive that in Koine Greek. It's doxa. It means something beautiful. God matters. God matters. God matters more than anything else in this world. And God's son, Jesus, is the most beautiful thing in this world. Our sins were the most despicable thing in this world. That's what brought about the evil that we're dealing with. It's our sin. It's the pride that would say, let's rebuild so we can go attack and kill innocent people all over again. And so sin is a big deal. I know it's mocked on television. I know when we want to describe a dessert, we don't go, oh, it's divinely delicious. We say it's decadently delicious because somehow or another we've convinced ourselves that wickedness and decadence brings goodness into our life or sweetness into our life. If you want to understand how great sin is, the God, the glory of God is revealed upon the cross when God loved us so much that Jesus was willing to go through the horror of being separated from the Father in order to die for your sins and my sins. That's how peace comes. That's how peace comes. And not peace that's just an absence of conflict, like you sign a treaty and then you hope nobody breaks it, 
But the peace that comes from a fullness where we love one another, we get along with one another because the peace of God abides in our hearts. And that's critical. But then Jesus said these words as well. And I get asked this question pretty frequently, and I love to ask it. And so I'm just going to imagine that you've asked me this question tonight. If Jesus is the Prince of Peace and Jesus came to bring peace, what did he mean when he said in Matthew 10, 34, don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. Have you ever wondered about that verse of Scripture? Of course you have. First time I read it, I was like, what? You know, I just remember as a kid, and I asked somebody, and they said, I really don't know. You need to go ask the pastor. So that was when I was a teenager, and, and I just want to tell you this. First of all, remember this. Jesus was no ordinary prophet like all the prophets that come before him. Jesus was no ordinary preacher like me. Jesus was God incarnate. Although he was born of the Virgin Mary, had a body like you and I have, he came from outside this world. Everything that was was created. But remember Colossians 1.17? Everything that was was created by him and through him. And so he took on human flesh, but he was from outside this world. And what Jesus is saying, what he came to do, he said, I am worthy of all your love. I am worthy of greater love than you have for your wife. I'm worthy of greater love than you have for your mother. I am worthy of greater love than you have for your children. So when he says, unless you hate, he's not talking about literally hating somebody because we know that God tells us, teaches us not to, to hate one another. But when he says, our love for Jesus has to make our love for others almost look like hate. Now, let me go back to what happened this because this was, a, an, and I'm not proclaiming a mystical experience, but this is what happened in my devotional time this morning. I posted just a little something on Facebook about an hour later, hour and a half later. And I thought, boy, I hope this encourages people. And I've heard from a lot of people already that encourage them. But I went upstairs, and I just have to be honest, my wife's beautiful even when she's sleeping. And I looked at her, and I thought about our children and our grandchildren. And then my sister called this morning. God created something out of nothing but chaos and confusion for our family, for our tribe. God created that. Nothing's impossible with God. And as I stood there contemplating God's blessings upon our lives, I realized I am not a good man. There's not, Paul said there was nothing good that dwelled in his flesh. Any goodness that we have is all because of Christ. Does that make sense? It's not feigned humility. I know that. It's, it's there, anything good in our lives is because of God. So my love may seem, if the more I love Jesus, the better I am able to love everybody else. But if I love Becky more than I love Jesus, it's going to destroy our home. If I love our children more than I love Jesus, it will destroy our home. If I love this church more than I love Jesus, it will destroy our home, destroy our, our, our congregation. The key is nothing can come before Christ in your life because 
the word of the Lord is like a sword. It cuts away every other loyalty in our lives. It cuts away every... My loyalty is not to America first, not to Becky first, not to, to church first. Your loyalty has to be to Christ. Let me show you another interesting passage tonight. Now, this is how we pray. This comes from Revelation. Now, just to give you the background, the church has been praying. Revelation chapter is a powerful chapter. There's a lot of praise and worship. I spent I don't know how many months going through Revelation with our congregation not too long ago. But listen to this. From his mouth, from Jesus' mouth, came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God the Almighty like juice flowing from a wine press. What's he saying? The sword, of the, the sword is the word of the Lord proceeding out of the mouth of Christ as it proceeds to the church. When you and I are sharing God's word, and we don't have to literally quote a scripture, but when we live our lives, build our marriages, build our careers, build our businesses, build our families, build our communities, upon the word of the Lord, hell begins to tremble. But when we try to build it upon vain and empty philosophies of what is popular, Francis Schaeffer said, maybe 30, 40 years ago, Francis Schaeffer says, we're living in a culture that doesn't know how to say to no to anything because we want what we want and we're going to have it no matter what. And we've come to a place that we don't know how to say no to anything in the culture because we don't want to deny anybody what they want, no matter if what they want is, is harmful to others and harmful to themselves. It's like one person said to me, says, well, if I was a terrorist, maybe I would feel the same way and feel totally justified in, in bombing America or bombing a city. Friends, that's just insanity. That's insanity. That's the kind of lunatic thought, and I pardon my strong way of saying that, that's the kind of lunatic thought that all of a sudden says there is no right and there is no wrong. When I worked in mental health, we had patients that they had no sense of moral right or wrong. They were dangerous. And it's a dangerous world when no, we're no longer able to say what is right or wrong. That's the reason it's important that our pulpits are not preaching popular philosophy or popular psychology, but we're preaching the Word of God. That's the reason that it's important that we pray for one another, our homes and our families, and we pray specifically. Dr. Paul David Youngie Cho passed away last week. I had the privilege of spending time with Dr. Cho in Atlanta, Georgia, a number of years ago and having a great conversation with him. And I will never forget, as we talked, he says, study the word, study the word, study the word. So that when you pray, you know what you're praying is in accordance with the will of God. Now, you might not know who Dr. Cho is. He built the largest church in the world, over 750,000 members. And I want to tell you, when you were a member at Dr. Cho's church, you belonged to a small group. You came to church on Wednesday nights, and you came to church on Sunday mornings. You tithed. You had a ministry. I mean, you were not a member a full gospel Yohita church unless you were actively living out your faith in Christ. Now, the point I'm trying to make is if God could do that in Korea, God can do that in Brownstown, Flat Rock, Woodhaven, 
God can do that in Trenton. God can do that wherever you're watching from tonight. God can do it in your community if enough people would just simply gather around and begin to pray specifically from the word of the Lord. And I don't have time, I'm running out of time quickly, but I don't have time to go through all the things I pray over my family. So here's kind of our growth work tonight. Number one, why don't you evaluate your prayer life? I evaluate my prayer life. You say, how do you do that? I keep a journal. You know, I have a paper journal because sometimes I like to write, but um, I've showed you this before, but I also have a journal that I keep on all my devices so that I can just click through and, and write in this journal and tag it, my prayers and everything like that. You know, I put the people, of, I put pictures of people that I'm praying for in there. Not, don't ever worry. I've never taken anybody's picture out of the hospital, but I put people's pictures in there that I pray for. So whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Now I'm coming back to Colossians. Paul is facing death. Now look at me for just a second. Those of you here and those of you listening, Paul is facing death. And I tried just for a few moments this afternoon to think about this. Remember what Rousseau said? Whoever says he faces life without fear is lying. Excuse me, whoever faces, says he's facing death without fear is lying. You know, Martin Luther, the great reformer that he was, whenever he was close to death, he became very fearful. And that great German theologian went through a huge struggle until finally he prayed with peace. Epicurus says, what men fear is not their death, but it's, it's what men fear is not that death is annihilation, but that it's not. So occasionally when I tell so, ask someone who tells me, oh, when you die, you're just going to die. I said, what do you base that upon? Where do, you, where do you find that truth at? I mean, tell me. I want to know because if I'm wrong, if God's word is wrong, and then we go through how many prophecies, for instance, of Christ's life, and this begins to really agitate them because they don't want to believe this. And so when you find somebody that wants to believe, you don't argue with them. You just say, okay, let's, well, let's just agree to disagree. But then you start a prayer project and begin to pray specifically for them. So from time to time, I get prayers, or that's your next fill in, pray specifically. I take people who I have conversations with like that, and um, I start praying specifically, Lord, give them questions about death. Give them questions about life. Give them questions, you know, what if Jesus really is real? What if the church, what if, what if the cross is really real after all? And then eventually, now listen, remember, Vic, the circuit. That's how you bridge the gap. Money has never been a worry for me, not because I come from a family of wealth or I have wealth. I know God will meet and supply every need. What has always been the thing that breaks my heart is whether people die and go into eternity without Christ because death is not annihilation. We will all have to give an accounting before God. And my only accounting is going to be, God, it's what Jesus did at Calvary. There's the glory. There's what you did. There was a movie that we watched a few years ago about a hurricane, a winter hurricane called a nor'easter off the coast of New England. And the hero of the movie is, is trying to get volunteers to go out to rescue because there were two ships that were sinking. And nobody really wanted to go. 
And he says something I think is so powerful in the movie. He says, you know what? We took an oath to go out. We never said we'd come back in. And finally they went out and thankfully they did come back in. But that's exactly what Christ did. He went out and was separated from God for your sins and my sins. It's why Paul says, I urge you, first of all, pray for all people. Ask God to help them. The greatest help that can happen for my friends who don't know Jesus is to come to know Christ. Intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. I pray that tonight that somebody is praying for your lost son, your lost daughter. I pray if you're a grandparent, you're just not sitting around gorging on Netflix at night, but you've learned the power of bridging the gap and bringing the power of God to prevail into your family because God can create and build something out of nothing. I am living witness to that. The power of God is not limited except where people refuse to pray. And when people refuse to pray, then they get bitter because God's not doing what they want them to do. But God has asked you and I to pray. And one final thing, and we'll close tonight. Pray for our leaders. It doesn't mean I always agree with my leaders. It doesn't always mean, this is going to sound bad. It doesn't mean I don't always like my leaders. But I pray for my leaders. And it's possible to love someone without, not like, without liking them. Do, do you get the difference there? There are people I love, but the way they live, I don't like. You know, they're hateful, they're spiteful, they take advantage of other people. I love them, but I really don't choose to spend time with them. Does that make sense? I hope it does. You know, and there are other people, I really love them. I think a lot of them. But the most boring evening of my life would be if I had to spend time in a room with them for two or three hours because we have nothing in common. So you don't either have to like them, you don't have to agree with them, and you don't even have to find them scintillating. But what you do need to do is pray for them because their leadership affects our life. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives. There it is again marked by godliness and dignity, peaceful and quiet. The word shalom and the word quiet, that's spiritual peace, and that's also political peace. That's what we're to pray for, that our friends will come to know Christ, our leaders will come to know Christ, and that we will also have domestic peace and harmony and tranquility among us. So... I appreciated the forthrightness of General Milley yesterday. I don't think we got a lot of real answers to that. But as I thought about the possibility of another 9-11, as I thought about the possibility of another major world city, or if, God forbid, there was a suitcase bomb, nuclear bomb, or something like that, I found myself this morning strangely timely, divinely timed, looking at Colossians chapter 1. God holds all things together through Christ. We can trust him, but we've got to bridge the gap, and we have to be a church. We have to be a people of prayer. So evaluate your prayer life. Evaluate your church's prayer life. Does your church a praying church? If you're a Christian business owner, are you praying over your business? Are you praying for your employees? And if you're an employee, are you praying for your employer? It doesn't mean you always have to agree with him or even like him but or her. 
but you got to pray for them. I could go on with this. I love you. Let's pray, and then we're going to have a time of discussion. If you have any questions, please feel free to email them to me here at the church. The email should be online. Father, we love you so much. Thank you, Lord, for the incredible power that is available to people who pray. And Lord, it's a reminder to me that Paul wrote this to a pastor. A pastor received this message so that he could remind the church of what they were supposed to do in the days of Nero. And so tonight, Lord, we take these same scriptures in the days that we are living in, as troubling as they may be, and God, we ask you to make a church that intercedes and prays, first of all, for it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. Good night. Thanks for watching.